I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The initial discovery was a chilling one. I stumbled upon the reins of a bison, his carcass grotesquely mutilated deep within the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park. I'm Samuel Sam Harper, a seasoned park ranger with a reputation for my intimate knowledge of the park's diverse fauna. Over my years of service, I've witnessed the circle of life and death in all its raw and savage forms, but this, this was an aberration. A gruesome scene that seemed to herald a sinister new presence. The poor creature had been mercilessly ripped apart, his flesh torn from the bone with a ruthless ferocity that suggested a predator of colossal strength and chilling savagery. The nature of the wounds were inconsistent with any species native to this ecosystem. It was clear that an unknown beast now lurked in the park, a creature far deadlier than anything I had ever encountered. My quest to unravel this mystery commenced on a frigid, fog-shrouded morning, as the first light of dawn seeped through the dense canopy, casting distorted shadows over the undulating landscape. I ventured further into the park's wild heartlands, 
These were territories untouched by human influence where nature existed in its most primal and untamed state. My days were fraught with peril. I battled hostile weather conditions, navigated treacherous terrain, and weathered tense encounters with the park's diverse wildlife. The isolation was all-consuming, a relentless adversary gnawing at the edges of my resolve. It didn't take long for my diligent search to yield a disturbing revelation. Evidence pointed towards a rogue organization having introduced unknown predators into the park. These were not ordinary predators. They were cryptids, kin to the legendary Sasquatch and crawlers, reputed for their size and raw power. My heart pounded in my chest as the implications of my discovery set in. This invasion wasn't merely a threat to the park's wildlife. It was an assault on the delicate balance of nature itself. The culmination of my harrowing journey occurred under a pitch-black sky devoid of any celestial illumination. In a remote clearing, I came face to face with the monstrous beast responsible for the gruesome carnage. It was an intimidating spectacle, a hulking silhouette of sinew and fur, its eyes radiating an ominous glow in the oppressive darkness. To my horror, I realized I wasn't alone. Shadowy figures emerged, their cruel laughter echoing through the night, revealing themselves as the devious puppeteers orchestrating the chaos. Injured, outnumbered, but resolute, I battled with every ounce of my strength. Just when it seemed the beast would deliver his fatal strike, the hum of an engine pierced the night. A van materialized out of the darkness, and from it stepped stern-faced men dressed in somber black suits. They were government agents. Their expressions unreadable as they incapacitated the beast with a stun gun. As I lay on the cold, unforgiving earth, gasping for air, Hey. I watched them haul the unconscious beast into the van. One of the agents turned towards me, his stoic face reflecting in the dim light. He revealed that they had already captured ten similar cryptids. Then, without further ado, they disappeared into the night, leaving me alone in the expansive wilderness. The isolated watchtower stood tall amidst the dense forest a solitary outpost in the wilderness. It had always been a quiet and uneventful place until now. As the park rangers stationed there, I couldn't help but notice the eerie phenomena that began to unfold around me. It started with subtle whispers in the wind, whispers that seemed to carry the weight of sorrow. The air felt heavy, charged with an unexplainable energy. Shadows danced along the edges of my vision, flickering in the corner of my eye. Unease settled deep within my bones as I realized I was not alone in that watchtower. Night after night, the encounters with the unseen entity intensified. I could feel its presence, a chilling breath on the back of my neck. The air grew icy cold and a haunting voice whispered my name in the darkness. It was clear that something was desperately trying to communicate to share its story with me, driven by curiosity and into desire to bring peace to the tower, I delved into its dark history. It was then that I uncovered a tragic event from the past, a devastating fire that had consumed the tower and claimed the lives of its inhabitants. The spirits of those lost souls were trapped within the confines of that place, their restless energy yearning for release. 
Armed with this knowledge, I began to piece together the fragments of their story. Through old journals and faded photographs, I connected with the lives that had once inhabited the Watchtower. Their hopes, their dreams, and their untimely demise became my guiding light in this eerie journey. As I reached out to the spirits, their manifestations grew stronger, seeking solace and redemption. The vengeful spirit, driven by anger and a desire for retribution, made its presence known. It was a force of darkness determined to make its pain known to living. With a heavy heart, I knew I had to confront the vengeful spirit head-on. Gathering my courage, I prepared myself for the final confrontation. Armed with sage and ancient rituals of cleansing, I called upon the spirits to come forth and find their peace. In the heart of that haunted watchtower, I faced the vengeful spirit. It loomed before me, a twisted and tormented figure, its eyes filled with anguish. I listened as it poured out its grievances, acknowledging the pain and suffering it had endured for decades. With compassion and empathy, I offered forgiveness. I acknowledged the tragedy and vowed to honor the memories of those who had perished. In that moment, a sense of tranquility washed over the tower, and the spirit began to fade away, finally finding the peace it so desperately sought. The supernatural occurrences ceased, and the watchtower became a place of serenity once more. The whispers in the wind transformed into gentle rustlings of the leaves, and the shadows that once danced with malevolence now danced with the joy of the forest. As a park ranger, I felt a deep sense of fulfillment. I had not only protected the wilderness, but also helped bring peace to the tormented souls trapped within the watchtower's walls. Their story would forever be etched in my heart in a testament to the power of compassion and understanding. And so I continued my duties as a park ranger, forever grateful for the haunting experience that had changed me. The watchtower stood as a symbol of triumph, reminding me that even in the darkest corners, light can prevail. Fishing in the South Atlantic, no land in sight following the birds to pick up sings of schooling fish. We find a deep sea pinnacle, and every time we troll through the area, we pick up a good number of fish, so decide to focus on the site for a while. All is normal, and the fish we were catching are consistently a good size. On what would be the... Our last good run, one of the rods bends. Line gets pulled taut, and before anyone can tend to it, the rods flicks back, shooting the lure into the cabin of the boat. We were running our lures just below the surface so it couldn't have snagged on anything and, and we saw no signs of whales in the area. No matter what we did after that, we could not catch any more fish. We were all experienced fishermen and none of us could logically explain what could have caused that. As our boat approached the remote island, the anticipation among the group was palpable. We were a group of experienced hunters, and this once-in-a-lifetime hunting expedition promised to be the pinnacle of our careers. Little did we know that this seemingly idyllic island was home to an array of deadly cryptids, creatures that had long remained hidden from human eyes. The first few days went smoothly as we tracked and hunted the island's native wildlife, unaware of the lurking danger. It wasn't long, however before cryptids began to reveal themselves, their stealth and cunning matched only by their ferocity. They started to hunt us, picking off members of our group one by one. As the death toll rose, 
It became clear that I was the last remaining hunter. Fear coursed through my veins, but I knew that my only chance of survival was to rely on my instincts and cunning. I resolved to face the Alpha Cryptid, the leader of these deadly creatures, and bring an end to this nightmare. I scoured the island for poisonous plants and fungi. My knowledge of the local flora is serving me well. With these ingredients, I concocted a potent toxin, its deadly properties capable of bringing down even the most formidable of adversaries. I applied the toxin to my weapon and set about creating traps laced with the poison, positioning them strategically throughout the island. As night fell, the Alpha Cryptid emerged from the shadows, its fearsome presence announcing its arrival. My heart pounded in my chest, but I stilled myself, knowing that this confrontation would determine my fate. The Predator lunged at me, but I was prepared. I dodged its initial attack and lured it towards one of my traps. As the creature came into contact with the toxin, it began to weaken and display signs of disorientation. Sensing my advantage, I continued to lure it from trap to trap, each exposure to the toxin compounding its effects. Finally, the once mighty Alpha Cryptid lay defeated before me, <laughs> body trembling as the poison coursed through its veins. I raised my weapon, my hand shaking with a mixture of fear and adrenaline, and delivered the final blow. Exhausted and battered, I made my way back to the boat, my heart heavy with the weight of the events that had transpired. As the island disappeared into the distance, I couldn't help but reflect on the thin line that separates hunter from hunted. I vowed never to forget the lessons I had learned on that remote and deadly island. For in the end, it was not brute strength, but cunning and resourcefulness that had saved my life. I admit it. I've written Anne Rice about my account with a vampire. I find it interesting that she first wrote an interview with a vampire in 1973. The book was published in 1976. I didn't read the book until 1980. Upon reading the book, I felt she may have met the same person I met in 1973. I have never received a reply from her. I do realize that she probably gets thousands of emails per month on her website. I wrote to her in 2001. I've told my story several times to several different people and always get the same response on a disbelief. Although my mother and sister sometimes still tease me, asking, do you remember when you dated that vampire? I'm now 51 years old. 34 years ago, I was 17, and that summer I was working for the United States Forest Services and entering through a government program called the Neighborhood Youth Corps. We planted trees and dug potential fire break lines in the forests of northern Idaho. A firefighting crew came into town midsummer since it was a particularly dry summer and was on stand by just in case they were needed. Among that crew was the most beautiful young man I'd ever seen. He had long blonde hair, perfectly symmetrical features. He reminded me of a more refined version of Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin. He was tall and handsome and everything I ever thought I would give up my virginity to. I spent a lot of time just looking at him. He apparently noticed and began talking to me when the crew came into town from their forest stations. He asked me out and I was ecstatic. We met for dinner several times, always late. After 10 p.m., he never ate, urging me to order whatever I would like to have and he would have a glass of wine. I never knew how old he was, but the, the, the drinking age in Idaho at the time was 19. 
He also had a European accent of some sort. He said he was from Germany. We would part at the restaurant. He never made any attempt to kiss me, which I thought very strange since every other guy I had dated prior was always all over me. One night I suggested we meet at a place very near to my apartment as I planned to ask him back to my house afterward for whatever. You got it. I wanted him. Fast forward to my apartment. After opening a bottle of wine and chatting, he said he wanted to take me into his confidence because he really liked me. He continued to say that he doesn't usually tell anyone the truth about him because it scares people. Okay. I felt the first flash of fear. He then went on to tell me that he was from Germany and when was over 400 years old, he was a vampire. I didn't know what to say. So I asked, what do you mean? Vampire. He said he was from an aristocratic family and was chosen and attacked by a vampire in his family's estate. He was made a vampire by his attacker. By virtue of what he'd become, he left with this other vampire and traveled all over the world. He came to hate him so much that he branched out on his own in France after many years. I asked him if he drank blood and killed people. He paused and said that yes. Sometimes he chose to take a human life. Okay, at this point my fear was turning. To terror. He was either a psychopath with a really interesting story, or he was the real thing, and I was about to die either way. I told him he was scaring me. He said he thought he probably would, and that was not his intention. It was hard for him to make friends, and when he felt he could trust someone, he would tell them the truth about himself since his lifestyle was not ordinary and needed the acceptance of what friends he had to maintain a friendship with him. He also told me that he knew I was expecting to have sex with him, and that he would agree to that. But that sex was really no longer pleasurable to him, although he knew it was pleasurable to normals. Okay, by this time I was really freaking out and said, I think you should leave. I remember he looked really sad. He said, of course, he would leave, but he wanted me to think about being friends with him. I said, I don't think so. You need to leave. He got up slowly and picked up his jacket and reached inside his jacket pocket for a pen and paper. I was really shaken by this time and thought his every move was employed to his move to kill me. But he wrote his phone number at the camp on a piece of paper and said, You change your mind, call me, and then he left. When he walked out the door, I was trembling so badly I could barely dial the phone. I called my mother to come get me to take me home. That night, I told her I just ended a date with a really creepy, scary guy. I paced the floor. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees. Supercharging productivity for your developers. Providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. She got there listening for any sounds that might indicate that he was breaking into my apartment. I told my parents and they said I did the right thing by calling them. My dad said, it's time for you to move out of that apartment, and I did. <laughs> I never called the guy, and I never saw him again. His name was Manfred Kirchner. I've never forgotten him. I thought he was a psycho until I read interview by Ann Rice. I've wondered for 28 years now if he is who Rice called the stat. Believe me or not, there you have it. Just remembered this one. About 15 years ago, huh? Was at a buddy's place. And he has a friend over. He starts telling me what a great bow hunter's friend is, and we start talking hunting. A few beers later, he tells us about a strange thing. Once that scared him so bad, he ran off and left his bow and swore he'd never go back in there. Now, my friend and I start giving him a hard time, and he starts to get angry. Telling us it was translucent and had glowing eyes and was about eight feet tall. He was obviously dead serious, and my friend and I, being normal guys, proceeded to make fun of him. About six months later, this guy died suddenly of a brain aneurysm he didn't know he had. Someone told me when people have a brain aneurysm, they sometimes hallucinate and see things that are totally real to them. We felt pretty bad after we found out. So this is a story my dad recently told me about my grandpa's dad and my great-grandpa. My grandpa grew up in very rural southern Indiana, but moved to very rural southern Illinois in his youth. So this takes place in Illinois. One night, grandpa and his dad were hanging out at his uncle's who lived a couple of miles away. Keep in mind, this is the 40s out in the country, so all roads are just dirt, basically. Anyway, it was pretty late, so they decided to head home and hopped into their old car, going probably about 15 miles per hour through these woods roads. At some point, as they're just driving and talking, they pass something along the edge of the road, standing upright. They both hunted and were very familiar with any animals or other local people that may be around. Neither one of them really said anything for a minute, and then they both looked at each other and said, what the hell was that? My grandpa asked his dad, do you want to turn around? He said, nope, and they kept driving. <laughs> My grandpa said it resembled a big owl, a small person just standing in the ditch. I was on a camping trip with my sixth grade class. The teacher, Steve Campbell, brought a group from our class up to the Williamson River for a trip to reward the students who had few or no disciplinary problems for the year. We drove up Highway 97 and about one, two miles past the Collier State Park, we turned onto a dirt road 
We continued down here for a while. Stopped in, parked the trucks. We hopped a trail with our backpacks for about one-half miles. We came to the camp spot, across the Williamson from a large rock face jutting from the hillside. We set up our tents about 100-200 yards away from the river. Myself and two other guys were in one tent and the girls in the other. <clears throat> we were about asleep and contemplating scaring the girls. We noticed all of the bugs and animals around went dead silent, followed by a terrible stench like rotten flesh. Then came the breaking branches, footsteps, and grunts. I looked out the door of the tent to see if it was the girls harassing us. Flashlight pointed out. I looked, and to my horror, I saw three tall, dark figures with glowing yellow eyes. They were about nine feet tall, hairy, and hideous. I love gorillas, and I can tell you for a fact that it was no gorilla. They looked human in face and in posture. When I looked into their eyes, I felt like death had come for me. I couldn't move, and I was cold all over. I dove back into the tent, and we heard them howl. It sounded like a mixture of a wolf crying and a woman screaming. A few minutes later, we heard and felt something hit the tent, as if they had thrown a tree branch at it. When we got up, the branches on trees around us were snapped, and there were branches littered around our campsite. Since then, I have completely avoided the Williamson River area. I do plan to go back, however, to try to capture them on film, sound recording, and hopefully find more evidence to support what I know I saw. Heaps of weird stuff happened back when I was living in New Zealand. One time when I was a teenager, I was camping with family at Spirits Bay at the top of the North Island. My friend and I decided to go for a walk along the beach before turning in. The surf was rough and loud. It's a beautiful moonlit night. We can see almost all the bay in front of us in the moonlight. No one is on the beach that we could see. All of a sudden, absolute total eerie silence. No crashing waves, no wind, no night birds. We stop walking, and it's like we're frozen in place. We don't talk. It feels so weird. The hairs on my arms stood on end. Then I see what looks like a person walking along the beach, but it seemed odd somehow. I whispered to my friend, and she saw it too. This person just came from nowhere. We watched, frozen in place for maybe a minute, and then the figure was gone. Just gone. We thought they must have moved into a shadowy part of the beach, even though we could see the beach was lit up with the full moon. The normal sounds returned, but we felt uneasy and decided to go back. Only later talking to my dad found out that the bay is the place Maori souls depart for their ancestral lands after they die. Always wondered if we had seen a ghost or if it was just a fellow camper. But we stuck to only going to the beach in the day after that and ever since. This happened years ago, I believe 2017. I was about 18 years old at the time, having a party at my best friend's house in the woods with a bunch of us. I say the woods, but that's just what we called it. It was still a neighborhood with other houses around, just far removed from each other with tons of forest around, no real town or village center. We live in Ontario. Now, this area is deep with indigenous activity, and Aster as all of Canada, but our spot especially so. We live a stone's throw away from the first ever European settlement, established in Ontario on the land of the Wendai. The party is going on and my friend who is hosting and has been completely sober in preparation for what we were about to do, pulls me aside and asks if I'll come with him to his hunting spot. 
to lay some apples and feed to attract deer for the coming mornings when he would go out and hunt. I say, yeah, of course, we get in the SU with the feed and head to his hunting spot, leaving the party in the capable hands of our friends. The spot is about ten or so minutes away from us, so not too much of a hike. It's down a long and deeply wooded dirt path. We drive down this path for like another five minutes or so until we get to his spot. Unloading the feeded in the pitch dark with just a couple of flashlights to help, we start scattering apples and feed along the grounds. He checks his trail cams and such, and then we head back out. As we are driving down the dirt road, which is more like a wide path, to be honest, suddenly from our right, a large light blue orb shoots slowly straight across our line of sight and weaves itself among the trees on the other side of the path, Red. Disappears. We sit silent for about a minute until I ask him if he saw that, too. My friend keeps driving as if he had seen it before and says, I don't really want to talk about it, dude. I asked him again if he at least saw it for sure, and he said yes, he did. This was a really cool experience, and my friend and I still talk about it to this day. Since then, he's been more open about discussing the orb. I'm still not sure why he didn't want to talk about it at first and how his reaction was so calm. I figure he must have had some experience before. We had been hiking in the Bullless area. For several days, I backed over to back by Hot Springs. It was getting late, and we noticed on the map a small pond at the base of Motherlode Mountain. So we took off the trail and hiked up to it. After finding there were no fish in the small pond, we set up camp and built a fire. After that, we started to scan the cliffs on all three sides of us. We noticed a deer way up on a ledge. A couple seconds later, it looked away from us to the other side of the pond and then got up and slowly walked away. Then we looked toward the direction it was looking and saw a large black hairy figure standing on two legs with arms in the air and holding something wide in one hand about the size of a basketball and very slight movements. We observed it for a couple minutes with a very eerie feeling. We wanted to leave badly, but it was getting pretty dark and our batteries were dead and there was no trail. So we decided to build up the fire to keep it away. In the very short time we turned away, then looked back again. It was gone. Right when it got completely dark, but the moon was bright, a large fir tree on the other side of the pond began to shake and sway violently off, and on for about one half an hour or more, and then everything was completely silent. Not a single sound. We took turns sleeping that night, if that's what you call it. The next morning finally came. We put out our fire and quickly left. About 20 yards from the pond on our way out, we came across a very expensive fly rod broken in half with a very nice reel, a new line, and random tracks that looked like a person running fast towards the direction out. We finally made it to the trail and decided to hike out to the car and head for home. Haven't though about it for years until a co-worker asked me if I had ever seen a Bigfoot. I now live in Montana with very few sightings reported. So I thought I would look online for the area I was in and grew up. It's amazing how many have been spotted like in the Skookum area. My then girlfriend and another couple went camping at Ed River, Georgian, Kentucky. We hiked in a couple miles and set up camp. After a day hike, we went back out to a store to grab supplies, example beer. In the store, 
Uh, some guy made a comment about the other girl whiz being hot and her boyfriend was a military top and really bucked up and threatened the guy. We made our way back to camp as it began to get dark and heard a rowdy group of hikers behind us, which was odd given the remoteness of the area we'd set up camp in the hour of day. That's when they yelled out to us, saying we looked like we knew how to find a good spot, so they were following us in. They kept going another 150 yards or so, and over the course of the night we hear them shooting guns off. So we instantly put our campfire out and lay down to sleep because we had camped on a ridge high enough that we couldn't get hit by a stray bullet so long as we were laying down. While we'd planned to stay another day, we just hauled out the next morning to find that the military guy's car had been smashed up a bit. Having gotten out of the forest, our phones were now working well enough that we were able to call the state police. As we waited, a guy and a girl from the group came off the trail and apologized, saying that one of the guys in our group had done way too much cocaine that night, flipped out and ran through the wood in his underwear to his car and then taken off in the middle of the night, and that he must have been the one to have hit us. As the troopers arrive, we recount the events. The couple says they don't know the guy's name or really anyone else in the group because they'd just met a few of them in jail the night before. So then the rest of the group begin to saunter out and the cops search them. No more coke, but still plenty of pot and several guns. They cite them for possession of marijuana, small amounts. Give them back their guns as we're sitting there having just given statements against them and the cops prepare to take off. I freaked out and told them we'd need a police escort out of town and that another officer needed to keep this group back so that we had a head start. Thankfully they did. The cops planned though was to leave us with coke-fueled gun-toting crew who just got out of jail and with new citations because of statements we made in a remote part of a large natural forest preserve. That was their plan A. The sun was shining brightly as I headed to the outskirts of town to pick some blueberries. I'd always loved spending time outdoors and the thought of enjoying a day in nature while collecting delicious berries was irresistible. Little did I know that my peaceful outing would soon turn into a spine-chilling encounter with the unknown. As I walked through the fields, I met two women and three boys who were also there to pick blueberries. We exchanged pleasantries and continued picking berries together, talking and laughing as we worked. Suddenly, our cheerful conversation was interrupted by an unearthly shriek that made us all freeze in our tracks. The horrifying sound seemed to come from the edge of the woods. Not too far from where we stood. Fearfully, we crept closer to the source of the noise, curiosity getting the better of us. As we reached the tree line, we caught sight of a creature that defied explanation. It was a massive, hairy beast that walked upright on its hind legs like a man. It looked like an immense African monkey, but unlike anything we had ever seen before. Panic set in, and we all fled back towards the town, our minds racing with terror. When we reached the park ranger station, we frantically recounted our experience to park ranger Sam. He was a calm and collected man, with a kind face that belied his years of experience dealing with the unknown. He listened intently to our story, never interrupting or dismissing our claims. Ranger Sam informed us that there had been other reports of strange creatures in the area recently, but none quite like the one we had described. 
He decided to accompany us back to the edge of the woods armed with his trusty camera and a tranquilizer gun, just in case. As we cautiously approached the spot where we had seen the creature, we could still feel the lingering sense of dread that had gripped us earlier. Ranger Sam, however, remained calm and focused. He scanned the area for any signs of the beast, but it seemed to have disappeared without a trace. Disappointed but relieved, we thanked Ranger Sam for his help and headed back to town. The encounter with the mysterious creature left a lasting impact on all of us. We couldn't help but wonder what other mysteries might be lurking in the shadows, waiting to be discovered. The story of the immense African monkey became something of a local legend, and many people ventured to the outskirts of town in hopes of catching a glimpse of the enigmatic beast. As for me, I continued to explore the world around me with a newfound sense of awe and curiosity, always remembering that day when the line between the known and the unknown was so dramatically blurred. <laughs>